Good to see you. If you're visiting, my name's Doug. I'm usually here about once a month, although the last few months I was gone. But two weeks in a row, that's a big deal to be with my my home church. Jeff will be back next week. Last week, we started a series called Obsessed. And kind of the theme behind this series is um, we're calling it Obsessed, but really it's a series about one's heart. What are those things that we're obsessed with in our heart? And we talked last week about how they come out in our words and they come out in our actions. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to it on the, online so you can catch up with where Jeff will be going uh, next week. But we, we gave you some, some exercises. It's saying without, without confession and forgiveness and celebration and generosity, our heart is doomed for obsession. We looked at Matthew chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus talks specifically to religious leaders and Pharisees. The Pharisees were people who were, uh, they, they kept a strict observation of the law. And what these people did is they came to Jesus and said, hey, how come your followers don't wash their hands? Because that was a human-made law. It was a God-made law for the priests, but not for humans. And Jesus basically calls a timeout and says, you guys are idiots, all right? That's, that's a loose translation of the Greek. It, it wasn't, but he was harsh. Some of you remember, like, you're like, oh, man, Jesus said that. He called them painted tombstones, meaning this, that they look good on the outside, painted tombstones, but on the inside, they were dead. And really what we were going after last week is Jesus is all about, all about heart. It's not about keeping these little rules. He wants to go after our heart. And based on the many conversations that I had by the door last week as people left, it seemed like, okay, this one hit home. After this service last week, my friends and I, uh, we went out to lunch. They invited me to the Cota de Casa Country Club that has a restaurant, and I'd never eaten there before. And as I go to Cota de Casa Country Club, um, they were about to seat us, and the lady looks at me and says, Sir, do you have a collared shirt? And I said, I was wearing something similar to this. I said, uh, well, I have several collared shirts at home, okay? She says, oh, that's, that's no problem. We have one for you. And then she walks into and pulls one out of a drawer that was a triple XL Tommy Bahama, like the 80s is calling and they want their shirt back, all right? And so she drapes it over me and she says, don't worry, you don't have to button it. And I thought, well, I'd have to get three people in it to actually button it. So now I'm walking through the Cota de Casa restaurant, and, and, and I mean, it, it's obnoxious. It's big. It, it looks like it's draped on me. I'm thinking if my mom was alive, she would turn over in her grave if she, she saw this. But it had a collar on it. They might as well just give me a shirt that said dork. Because it really was the same thing. If, if I would have had an earpiece and a gold chain and a 25-year-old girlfriend, I might have fit right in. But um, anyway, um, my, we sat down out on this patio. It's a beautiful, beautiful patio. And I said to my buddy, is that a perfect example of what I was just talking about at church? It is keeping the rule so you look good. But really, I look ugly. (laughs) And we kind of laughed about it. And here's what's interesting. It didn't take very long for me to be sitting outside overlooking this incredible view, this unbelievable golf course, these beautiful manicured homes that are surrounding the incredible patio. It was just, it was, it was stunning when 
I begin to think, you know, this is nice here. This is really nice. I mean, I think I, I, think I, could, get, I could get used to this. Golf carts are going by, and they're custom golf courts, not, not public golf courts. They're, they're like golf carts that cost more than my Mazda. And I'm going, man. And then all of a sudden, some of you know what I'm about to say. There's this internal whisper that begins to say, you belong here. I mean, really, you know, life never looks so good from Kodo. And I think you could get, you could get comfortable here. You kind of deserve this. Uh, maybe Kodo needs a church. And you could, you could, be, the, you could be the pastor. Okay? Then my wife shows up just a little bit late, walks out, and I stand up. She just starts laughing at me. I had forgot I was wearing the shirt because I was just thinking about where my house was going to be. And, uh, and she's just laughing. And she goes, I didn't know I was having lunch with Tom Selleck. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that was funny. But um, here's why I tell you this. It's amazing. It's amazing how quickly my heart went to a place of jealousy, borderline envy. Now, let me be really clear as we talk about what's going on in our heart. Jealousy comes and goes. Okay? Jealousy comes and goes. It's kind of like anger. There's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is not a bad emotion. It's what we do with anger. Anger comes and goes, but when we let something stick, that's when it becomes obsessive. So when jealousy sticks, that's when it turns into envy. Jealousy is when I go to the gym and I see a guy my age with a 32-inch waist and like ripped abs that are just like sticking out through his shirt, and I go, dang. I'd like, I like those, but, you know, oh, well, I don't grab a donut, leave. Okay, that, that's jealousy, okay? Where envy appears is when I leave the gym and I see that same guy by his brand-new Porsche that's taking three parking spots, and I had to circle in my 1999 Suburban and park in between a trash dumpster and the shopping carts, couldn't even open my door, I had to dismount through the back of the Suburban. Then all of a sudden, I envy. And I make that, here's what happens. I make that guy my emotional enemy. Now, I want you to think about, as I begin to talk about this, I want you to begin to think who your emotional enemy is your emotional rival. It shouldn't be too hard for you to think about that because you think about it a lot. And it might even appear noble, like there's good reason. I remember when my kids were, were littler that I was, I was envious of when your kid experienced something that I wanted for my kid. And I, my kid didn't get a taste in, so I found myself envious. And it, it, feel, it felt noble because it wasn't about me. It was about my kid. Like, do they, do they still do the student of the month awards do they still do that yeah well when my kid you know you'd, you'd watch kids and it would be pinned on their class like from kindergarten on up it's just it's pinned like student of the month and they they walk out you know and i I'd, I'd kind of look at them and go i didn't want the student of the month i just wanted it for i wanted it for my kid my kid never got that okay got student of the month in juvenile hall once but you know that's that was a whole another a whole another story okay But here's what I am admitting to you. I'm standing before you and I'm admitting to you. I know what it is like to create emotional rivals in my heart. I know what it's like to feel envy. And today we're going to go after what I'm going to call a heart 
envy bypass, a triple heart envy bypass, and I'm going after you. Okay, I've been dealing with this all week, and it sucks. Okay, for me, now it's, now it's my turn to, to go after you. And so with a little bit of a nod to my Catholic friends, we're going to experience Mass and confession. Okay, we're going to do a Mass confession right now. So if you have ever envied someone's car, someone's house, someone's physique, if you've ever envied somebody's marriage, their children, their grandchildren, if you've ever envied somebody's salary or success or beauty or opportunities, if you've ever envied somebody's wardrobe or their education or their temperament, if you've ever envied somebody's athletic ability or their character quality, or if you've ever envied somebody's intelligence or their spiritual gift, if any of those apply to you, raise your hand, keep it up. Look around. <laughs> okay, I figured I'd get you. Now, here's the deal. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, welcome to Club Envy. Okay, welcome to Club Envy. Club Envy has chapters on every street in Orange County. And here's the deal. If your heart goes unchecked, then envy begins to rule. That's where obsession comes in. And you don't even, you don't even think, you're like, oh, Doug, it doesn't apply to me. No, it's, it's actually seen in your words, and in your actions. And actually, the more obsessive and envious you become, you actually begin to do evil things. Remember, remember the cheerleader murder, the mom who actually killed a cheerleader so her daughter would make the squad? You remember the, the female astronaut who drove hundreds of miles to kill or wound her emotional rival? Last week, I saw something on television. It's the 20th anniversary of the um, Nancy uh, Kerrigan, Tanya Harding. Remember that? Uh, that? That event where that was envy uh, gone evil. Now, did you notice all of those illustrations were females? Uh, so, <laughs> just, just saying, ladies. Uh, but now, let's, let's, go general to, let's go general to everyone. What, is, what does envy do? Why should you care about this? Okay? Um, envy can keep your current and potential relationships from growing. Here's where it applies to everybody. Because some of you are like, you know, Doug, honestly, you know, okay, I'm here because of the baby dedication, or I was invited by a friend, or, um, you know, I'm dating this gal, and she says, you know, if we're going to date, you're going to church. But I'm really not interested in the whole Jesus faith thing. And I get it. I know there's some of you that are here. Okay, great. It's still impacting your relationships. That's one of the beauties about this many people. We're, we're the spectrum of where everybody is spiritually. Some of you are fully devoted followers of Christ, and some of you are just checking out this whole Jesus thing and everyone in between. Envy affects all of us. Okay? Uh, envy creates inaccurate judgments of others. Envy hurts innocent people. Envy reveals the evil in one's heart. That's the essence of this series. Envy can lead to sin and serious consequences. Envy reduces your enjoyment of life. Envy chips away and destroys God's work in your life. That's why many of you came to this faith community today because you want to grow spiritually. Well, ultimately, envy diminishes your spiritual maturity. So bottom line is this. You can't show me an envious person who is a happy person. Because and it's impossible because envy always wants something that it doesn't have. 
And it's impossible to live God's preferred life when your heart is filled with envy. Now, I want to take us into a section of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to, there's two parts to this event that took place. We're just going to look at part one of the life of Joseph. Part two is beautiful, and I want you to read it on your own. I encourage you to read it on your own. We're only going to take a look at, at part one. Some of you know the story of Joseph very well. Because you're like me, you've read Genesis more than any book in the entire Bible. Because every year you sit out to read the Bible and you never make it past Genesis. I get it. I get it. Sometimes at Exodus, never Leviticus. Okay, nobody gets through Leviticus. And others of you here, you don't know Joseph from Jehoshaphat, and that's okay. I will reveal the story to you in a way that I think you will understand. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 37, starting in verse 3, or pull out your notes because all the scriptures are there. They will also be on the screen. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph. Jacob is the dad. Okay, let's start with that. Jacob is the dad. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now, right away, this first part of verse 3, we see the breeding ground for envy. Not only did Jacob the father love Joseph more than all of his other brothers, but he told everybody that. All right? So I have two words for dad. Parenting classes. All right. And, and this gets me a little fired up because I've shared with, with you before I, around Christmas time, I told you this story that um, I grew up in a family of an older sister and a younger sister. So I'm the middle boy. Clearly I was not the favorite. I was the third favorite. Okay. Very obvious. My older sister uh, was the favorite. Her name is Noel. So as a kid growing up, you think around Christmas season, it's all about her. And she lived that way, and our family celebrated that. And you said her name in December, you had to hand her a present. I mean, that's what it was. Now, here, here's the deal with Noel. Noel was born in November. Okay? I was born December 30th, five days after the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm given the name Doug, which everybody knows is short for what? Doug less, okay? That's what my parents were saying. Could we not have dug you any less, all right? And then what they do is they name my sister, my baby sister is the youngest because she's the what? She's the baby, and everybody loved my little sister, Beth Lehem. So let's do this. I want you to raise your hand if you're like me. You know you are not the favorite. Raise your hand. Let me see. You're not the favorite. All right. Losers unite. I love that. All right. How about this? You know without a shadow of a doubt in your family, you're the favorite. Raise your hand. Wow. Some of you didn't even have to think about it. It's just, you know, <laughs> tremendous arrogance. That is like, oh, no, it's okay. So, you know, what a church family we have. See, many of us in here, we, we suspect that our parents had a favorite, but Joseph's brothers... They've got hard evidence. This rivalry is a setup. Look at this. The rest of verse 3. Not only is Joseph the favorite, but look what happens. So one day, Jacob, again the father, had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. So now favoritism takes on a concrete form, a beautiful robe. In some of your Bibles, depending on the translation, that Hebrew word is a little difficult to define. Some call it long sleeves. The King James Version, which you maybe have heard of, is uh, called the coat, the coat of many what? 
colors. I mean, in some ways, I like to think of it as an amazing Technicolor dream coat. Uh, that's, just, that's just me. But, you know, why, why envy a robe? Why envy a robe? Because in my mind, when I think robe, this is what I think of, okay? I, I, think, I think that kind of robe. Why? I think of my dad's robe. My dad... He wore the same robe his whole life. It, fabric was disintegrating. They had mystery stains of, you know, things he had spilled on it. When the belt would break, my dad would not get a new robe. He'd go out to the garage, get a bungee cord, you know, and he used a bungee cord and he'd wear that for another 15 years, okay? And so, but Joseph's robe was different. Joseph's robe was uh, an Amar, uh, uh, Armani Robe. Joseph's robe was um, was bought at the Nordstroms of Nazareth. Okay, uh, Joseph's robe looked something like this. Oh yeah, it was it was it was sweet, and uh, this robe communicated to Joseph that he was special, that he was favored. This robe was an expression of his father's love and value for him. This robe was an in-your-face to everybody else that you will never be Noel. Okay, you are, you're always going to be second best. This is, this is like when, when Jeff, who's our lead pastor, when he, I've known him since he was in ninth grade, and uh, you know when he made varsity. He wore his letterman's jacket everywhere he went. I mean, he just wanted to show people varsity soccer, you know, communist sport. Uh, but he, he wore it where, wherever he went, okay? Who am I kidding? He actually still wears it, uh, you know, everywhere he goes. So anyway. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Because there may be good reason. Let me be real clear. There may be good reason for jealous feelings to emerge, all right? Um, Even legitimate ones. But the key in spiritual maturity is how do we keep those jealous feelings not to morph into envy? Because once envy hits and it becomes obsessive in our heart, then it becomes very destructive. You'll see this in verse 4. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The brothers are mad at Joseph. But think about it. Who should the brothers be mad at? Yeah, Dad. Joseph didn't do anything, but the text doesn't say that. Now watch this. That's how envy works. It distracts you from the real issue. That's what envy is. You begin to blame and you begin to point out and, and, and really what they wanted. They didn't want the robe. They wanted their father's love. But that's what envy does. It always misses the bigger picture. See, when I'm envious, when I allow jealousy to solidify and morph into my heart as envy, and I think I want that or that or that, really, I don't want those things. I want something deeper that those things won't fill. Okay? Envy clouds perspective. Verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. (laughs) Can you see this scene? Brothers, come in. I had a dream. And in my dream, you will all be subservient to me. It's going to be, let's, let's practice. Follow the leader's commands. Come on. Now, now that one, that bad's on Joseph. He probably should have kept that dream to himself, okay? Because now the brothers hate him even more. Verse 18, we'll skip ahead a little bit. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Now, how do you think... They saw him coming from a distance. What do you, what do you think? Can you? That actually is a sign of envy. See, when you're envious of someone or something, you don't even need the whole picture. Just a name, an experience, a sight of something else can trigger that, that envy and evil can emerge. They wanted to kill Joseph. Now, some of you are thinking, Doug, I kill. I mean, come on. Maybe biblical time, but not the 21st century. I mean, we live in Orange County. We're highly educated. We wouldn't want to, I mean, physically kill somebody. I don't think so. Well, what about, what about killing someone's reputation by talking badly about your, your rival? What about killing someone's career by setting that rival up to fail? What about killing a relationship by sabotaging your arrival. See, envy moves up a fast escalator and gets off at the floor of hatred and revenge and destruction. Verse 19. Here comes the dreamer. Here's another, actually, another sign of envy. When you're envious of someone, you dehumanize them. You depersonalize them. They don't become a person anymore. They become a a title. Here comes the dreamer. Here comes Mr. Porsche. Here comes Mrs. Liposuction guy. Here comes Mr. Letterman's jacket. I mean, whatever it is, you dehumanize them and you reduce them to the possession that they have that you actually think you want. Verse 23. When Joseph arrived... His brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So when the Ishmaelites, who were the Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. See, now their their envy fell just short of actually killing him, but they definitely sought to destroy him, to remove him. From his position of favorite. They destroyed the robe. And, and that's what envy does. Envy says, if I can't have it, I don't want my emotional rival to have it either. Verse 31. When the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood, they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? You'd like, surprise. <laughs> Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. 
Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Now, some of you that have read Genesis before and you know the event about Jacob. If you know about Jacob, who's the father in this scenario, let's go back an earlier generation when he was a son. A son of who? Isaac, okay? Brother of Esau. In Genesis 25, I put in your notes, you might read it later, but you will see the great irony here. Here's the irony. When Jacob, the dad in this story, was a brother and a son, Esau, his brother, was the favored brother. He got the legitimate birthright from his, from his father, Isaac. So when Isaac was old and losing his sight, Jacob dressed up as his brother to receive the dad's birthright. That's why Jacob was called Jacob the deceiver. So with all of this in Jacob's past, what he did as a boy, you would have think he would have seen the old robe dipped in blood trick coming, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Not only was it a like father, like son moment. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, right? Okay. Going to grow up just like you, Dad? Here's, this is an important aside, and it is an aside, but here's the important aside. And this is going to sound rough to some of you, especially some of you that maybe haven't read the Scriptures. You're not going to fully get it, and I am, I'm aware that you may not fully get it. But the Bible teaches this, that if the sin in our heart is not dealt with in this generation, we will hand it down to the next generation. Make sense? Okay? The Bible actually talks about our sin being passed to the third and fourth generation. So what it means, mom and dad, if there is some stuff in your heart, chances are real good that you're going to hand that same thing to your, your kids. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. What Jesus promises is a whole new heart. See, I, this is what I love to see. I love to see people, their life is going this way. Okay? And then all of a sudden, Jesus enters into their life and they redirect the course of their life. Not only do they redirect the course of their life, they change their whole family system for the next generation. It's called being a transitional generation. And some of you in here have the opportunity to be the transitional generation, be, generation because of what Jesus is, is doing in your life. Does that make sense? Okay. Because if not, we pass, we pass that, that on. And it's not an if, but it's a when. The Bible promises it, and it's exactly what we see happen in Jacob's life. Verse 34. Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. Now, he wasn't going to the Kodo Club there. Uh, he was, he, that's actually a sign of grieving. That's what they would do. They would rip their clothes, and then they would dress in their mourning wear, and not you know, M-O-U-R. He, he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Here's the ultimate irony of this tragic event. They get the rival out of the way. They get Joseph out of the way. But they lose their dad. See, they didn't want their coat. They wanted their dad. They wanted their dad's approval. They wanted to walk into the room and have dad's eyes light up like dad lit up for Joseph. Now, the irony is they walk into the room and dad's eyes are closed, filled with, filled with tears and, and, and weeping. Friends, that is the emptiness of envy. 
Envy doesn't win anywhere. The deceit didn't, uh, you know, didn't win with the dad. All they did was lost a brother. Envy is relationally destructive. And what I wanted to show you in this story, and again, I want you to read part two because part two is beautiful. Okay? But in part one, there is ugliness and emptiness connected to envy. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this, Then I observe that most people are motivated to, succe- to success because they envy their neighbors. Look what envy is. But this, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Last week, we looked at some pictures of what the Bible calls as a fool, what a fool does. And a, a fool chases the wind. And just imagine just you're living your life with this net, just kind of running around, chasing the wind, chasing after other people's stuff that you're not capturing at all. There is no upside to envy. Actually, if you read the scriptures clearly, envy is put in the same category as evil. And when there is evil in our hearts, God cannot bless our hearts, if it has a hold on your life. So the question becomes to us today, how do we get rid of this? How do we get it to not stick? How do we let just jealousy come and go and not morph and mold and solidify into envy? How do we live a life of peace and health and freedom? Well, that's what we're going to go after. Remember last week I said the new heart part, the new heart is God's part. That's what God does. He does the impossible You and I, we do the possible. So while God does the impossible, we just don't sit on the couch and veg. While God does the impossible, we do the possible. And the possible is we participate in God's work by walking in God's direction. And remember, I gave you some exercises to to walk in His direction. The exercise of confession and forgiveness and generosity and celebration. And I'm not going to ask you if you did your homework last week, because I don't want to be depressed. Okay, because I kind of have an idea. But I'm going to come back again. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you new exercises. I'm going to give you exercises that apply to envy. Very specific. I want you to write these down. If you have a pen or put it in your, your, your phone, write this down. First, how do we attack envy? First, I have to acknowledge my envy. i got to move it from the darkness out into the light. What does this mean? I am envious of Greg. And here's why I'm envious of Greg. First service, a lady came to me and she told me who she was envious of. She goes, oh, it's so freeing to say it. And here is why. And just getting it out in the open is, is, is step one. Now, there's a deeper part of this. And I put in your notes because I want you to smoke on that this week is this. The question is, what am I currently doing that is motivated by a desire to be envied? See, I acknowledge my envy. I am envious of blank. Then, metaphorically speaking, I open up my heart, I hold up a mirror, and I look inside. What's broken? See, I think I want that Kodo membership. No, I don't. What I really want is what? This is where it starts. It goes to the motives, which is what Jesus is concerned about. Secondly, And not only acknowledge my envy, I apologize to God. This is a little different than confession of sins. Yes, you need to confess your sins, but this is different in that because at the root of envy is this. God, you didn't do me right. You didn't do me right. 
Okay? Your provisions aren't good enough. You're cheating me out of what I deserve. As I apologize to God, because ultimately, and this is big, at the heart of envy is the lie that God owes you. This is it, friends. God owes me a better marriage. God owes me more obedient kids. God owes me a better salary, a better career, a better house, a better neighborhood, deeper friendships. God owes me a church that fits just my needs. God, owe, God, God owes my kid. That at the heart of envy is that lie. Now, I'm not going to pretend I don't believe that lie sometimes. Because sometimes I go, you know what? It would be nice. I've served you faithfully, Jesus, for, since I was a teenager. I'd, I'd kind of like to I'd kind of like to look like Brad Pitt, okay? I would. Instead, I'm always compared to, you know, John Edwards, Senator John Edwards, or the late John Ritter. That's what I get. I don't get Brad Pitt. But here's the deal. God doesn't owe me, and God doesn't owe you. Because if you really think, track with me, if you really think you could be in the presence of God and say, God, you just, you robbed me. You robbed me of what I deserve. If you really believe that, you don't fully understand the big picture of what God has already done for you. Because you know what God has done for you? He's given you what you don't deserve. Forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. And yet because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he made it possible for me to have a relationship with him. See, God's over here. Just... God's over here, perfect, holy. And because I'm not perfect, I'm separated and distant from God. A imperfect being can't have a relationship with a perfect God. So God made a way possible by coming to humanity in the person of Jesus, by living a perfect life, by dying on the cross as a payment for my sins, And because of what Jesus did on the cross, I embrace and accept that. And now I have access to a relationship with God. And then he lives inside of me, the power of his Holy Spirit. In Colossians 2, it says this. You were dead, Doug. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. Why do I apologize to God? I apologize to God because of my sin. I owe God. I owe him a debt that I can't pay. But because of his love for me, the love that we just sang about a little bit ago, he paid my debt. And here's the deal. You know, For those of us going through life and you're not really living the life that God intended you to live, you're not living the preferred life that God has for you, most of it is because people feel cheated when they focus on others rather than focusing on God. That's where people feel cheated. They feel, they feel cheated when they focus on others, other people's stuff, their, their status, their skills, their success, their social circle. And they completely miss the wonder of what God is doing in the here and now, in this kingdom, forgiving me. So when envy kicks in, I got to remember, God doesn't owe me anything, okay? And then I got to apologize to God when I think he does. And finally, if you really, here's the antidote to envy. I tipped my hat at it last week. 
but this is the biggie, is I've got to celebrate others. If you don't want envy to stick, you have to celebrate your rival. And I would go so far as to say, you celebrate it verbally. You, Doug, what if I don't feel like celebrating? <laughs> I know. I either do I. But you do it until you actually feel like it. Last week, I gave the illustration of your neighbor who comes home with a new car, and you're kind of envious. Last night, I was watching a commercial. There's a commercial out where, you know, the husband and wife are in the kitchen, and they've got the binoculars, and they're looking at the new car, and they're just obviously envious. Well, how do I celebrate that? I go next door. Let me see that car. Let me, I love the smell of new car. You know, and people were going, are you serious? Should we really do that? Yes. Yes. Go sit in it. Rub yourself against the leather. I mean, you know, whatever. This is awesome. Okay? That's when you begin to celebrate others. Dads, you're coaching against another guy. That guy's a jerk. Okay? He's a jerk. His kid's a jerk. Right? Your kid's on the mound. His kid slaps a double, bam, against the wall. Then next inning, his kid's on the mound, strikes out your son in three pitches. What do you do? You celebrate him. After the game, man, your son was terrific. That was awesome. Way to go. No, I can't. I can't. Because if I do that, he'll become a bigger jerk. Here's what I want you to understand. I don't care about him. I don't care about him. I care about you. And your heart is never going to change until you learn to celebrate the people you have made emotional rivals. So that other coworker gets the job that you applied for. What do you do? You celebrate her. Nancy, way to go. Congratulations. You know I wanted that job and I just I know it's going to be a great job and congratulations. You don't make her your emotional enemy. You celebrate her. And when you celebrate, you are saying to envy, "You will not have free reign in my life. You're not going to grip my heart." Those of you who are single and you want to be married, I understand that. And all of a sudden, a friend comes to you and says they're engaged. And you want to roll your eyes and throw up on yourself. I mean, you're just going, really? I've got to wear another one of those lame bridesmaid dresses. No, you celebrate that. Because when you celebrate that, you're going to be free from envy's grip. Can you imagine what your life would look like? what your life would look like if you were actually free, if you were actually to experience some, some peace, that your heart wasn't gripped by wanting what other people have. You know, the, the Joseph Coates story is kind of depressing. But if you flip, that's in Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. If you flip to the very last book in the Bible, book of Revelation, Chapter 3, you can read it on your own. It tells about those of us who have a relationship with Jesus that when we get into the presence of God, we're going to be given a robe. And the Bible says it's not going to be a robe of many colors. It's going to be a robe of one color. It's going to be a white robe. It's going to be a robe representing purity. In this robe is going to be for you. And when you wear this robe, this robe is going to say, you are loved, you are valued, you are mine. And I give you this robe 
not because you deserve it, but I give you this robe because you don't deserve it. But it's an expression of my love. Not because God owes you, but because God loves you. Friends, don't waste your life chasing the wind, envying what other people have, when you've got something waiting for you. And you've got a preferred life today with the filling of God's Spirit in your life. That's what I want to obsess over, the presence of God in my life. Now we're going to do something different to end the service. Is in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And sometimes we have people stand up making various commitments, but I want you to stand up and um, if you're somebody here that says, you know what, I want a new heart. I want God to do in my heart what I can't do in myself. I want God to give me a new heart. And I'm going to walk in His direction. I'm going to do my part. Okay? But I'm going to pray that God would do the impossible. And I want you to stand up. But here's what we're going to do. We're all going to stand up at the same time so people aren't feeling awkward. And okay, If I don't stand up, is that say I don't want a new heart? You know, okay? We're all going to stand up. But you're going to stand up with just a sense of, a sense of confidence. And God, who knows the names and the hearts and the lives of 7 billion people on this planet, will know that when you stand up, you're standing up with a confidence that today, God, I want a new heart. So you determine whether you want to stand up that way or just stand up regularly. But I want us to stand up and we're going to do something a little bit liturgical. We're going to close in prayer by reading a prayer. So let's everybody stand up. Will you read this prayer with me? I know you don't owe me. I am sorry for my arrogance. I'm envious because I'm not seeking contentment in you. I'm wasting time and energy trying to fill that void with something I don't have. Forgive me. Give me the courage to celebrate others and to help me defeat the envy that looms in my heart. Let me enough to cancel the debt. I can't pay on my own. Amen. God, hear our prayers.